20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. What's going on, Packer fans? Welcome back to an all-new episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. I'm joined once again by the one and only Sam Monson. You can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. Of course, you can find him on the PFF NFL pod. Sam, welcome back. How the heck are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? I'm doing fantastic. I'd be doing better if the Packers were able to continue their winning ways. But this is the modern NFL you can beat. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs one week and come back a week later and lose to Tommy DeVito and the New York Giants. You never know what you're going to get in this crazy NFL world. Walk me through it, Sam. What what did you see and uh, what exactly happened to Green Bay in this game? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, you can't necessarily survive going up against cutlets. Um, (laughs) I think that's just the way of the modern NFL. But it was strange. It was like it was like Jordan Love reverted back into Jordan Love from earlier in the season. And yeah. everything we've been talking about uh, the last few weeks, his improvement, his development, the switch that had flipped, the accuracy that had changed, all of it just vanished. Like, poof, gone. Right back to the guy he was a few weeks ago. And you sort of come away from a game like that thinking, like, how much of everything we talk about week to week is just a complete fabrication? <laughs> and, you know, it's just the variance within like week to week, game to game in the NFL. None of it's real. We just invent these narratives as they go along. And it's more like the stock market, right? It's a long-term approach of, is it broadly going up or broadly going down? Because the actual week to week fluctuations is basically irrelevant for anybody that isn't, you know, trading within those days. That's kind of what it felt like. Jordan Love just went back to being the guy we saw, you know, for the first half of the season all of the accuracy that we talked about before being so much better in the last few weeks wasn't there anymore. Um, so many sort of inaccurate, bad ball location passes, just throws that weren't where they had been the last few weeks. Um, and that and that was a, a big part of it. And then on, on defense, they kind of couldn't contain Tommy DeVito. Like every time they needed a big play, he was able to find a scramble to make it work and you know just keep themselves alive. And then the late game magic. It was unbelievable. And I, all off season and even during the season, I've said over and over, and I think more than anything, just trying to preach to myself of, hey, this is a really young and inexperienced team. Even when they look really good, just remember there's going to be a lot of these down moments. And even when they look really bad, just remember there's going to be some really good moments too. And even I found myself like going back after like a few weeks of things and being like, I don't even know like how you can analyze this team. Like you said, we're going week to week and we're trying to find some common threads that we can talk about, but this has looked like an entirely different football team sometimes on a week to week, but it's a, it's not even just like a week to week. They've got a, a four game losing streak. They've got an impressive three game win streak. You beat Mahomes, you lose to DeVito in back to back weeks. It's, it's really hard to kind of find the common threads to sort of spin everything together. But again, that is sort of the, weird inconsistency of the NFL. We'll talk about that more in just a moment as well. But I do think you hit on one of the key things that I did want to get into, and that is Jordan Love. You know, we saw over this stretch of games where it looked like the fundamentals were a little bit more sound. He was playing a little bit more confidently, gripping and ripping, throwing the ball all all over the field. 
I do think probably having some of his playmakers out of this game, maybe some of the windy conditions, some of that stuff maybe played a factor, but it still is played from sort of the footwork on. And I didn't think he had necessarily great footwork of fundamentals in this game. And you saw some of the, uh, you know, inability to hit accurately, some of the sprain of the ball all around the field and some really interesting decisions as well. He had the one interception. I, I don't, I'd be curious your thoughts. And if you think he could have got, at least the first down by following Tucker Craft on the run. It was an interesting cutback. If anything else, I think if he keeps following Craft, he probably doesn't have the fumble on the play. Um, and then there's another pass that's going to be intercepted that's batted down at the line of scrimmage. Just a, a very tumultuous day for Jordan Love. Yeah, um, the conditions are definitely part of it, right? That is a difficult place to play. It, it doesn't help. It's probably going to make any quarterback look a little bit worse than they would overall. But that I don't think it explains what we saw from from Jordan Love. And you're right. The footwork thing is an interesting point because um, having to throw off platform or off balance is part of today's NFL. You need to be able to do that. And it's an important skill set to have. Jordan Love seems to sort of voluntarily try and create those plays, though, when he doesn't need to. It's one thing to be able to do it when you're forced into that situation, but it shouldn't necessarily be what you're looking to do at all times. Like the number of throws Jordan Love has where your initial viewing of it is like, was he under pressure there? Like what what, what happened on that play? And then when you go back and look at a replay or you see it on film later, like he, he wasn't. For some reason, he just decided the way to throw this pass was like falling away from it to the left you know, like a, almost like a, a fadeaway jump shot in basketball, but without like the purpose behind it, you know, without the kind of the, the logic behind a fadeaway jumper. He's just not throwing off the regular platform. The interception was a great example. Like the the Mannings, both of them were like, did somebody get a piece of that ball? Like, was that tipped? What happened there? And they're like, no, it's it's, it's just terrible. <laughs> it's yeah. just terrible, Peyton. There's no reason for it. Nobody got near it. It was just a terrible ball. There was a safety there the whole time. Never should have put it in the air. It's it's weird the number of throws he has that are like that, where it's like, to an extent, he's the architect of his own demise on these plays. It's like, you know, the fact that you can create some of these throws is great, but don't do it all the time. And sometimes it works out. You know, the throw that we were praising him for last week, I think, to, to Christian Watson, the touchdown. I mean, that was a weird throw off. That wasn't sort of step into a perfect mechanics. That was another sort of fade to the left, you know, lofted three quarters angle. It wasn't sort of textbook mechanics, but back then everything was going great. I just, you know, there, I think at the moment we need to really like strap him in and say, look, let's everything by the numbers unless there's any massive reason not to do that. You know, if we've got a guy in our face, if there's a, a lineman chasing you down, fine, let's adjust things. But right now let's try and focus on like doing this by the book. I forget who it was. I can't remember if it was like Dominique Foxworth or it was somebody who had a, such a great analogy of like, it's great that you have superpowers, but Superman doesn't have to use his laser vision when he's saving a cat from a tree. Right. Like, it's, like it's certain, like there's certain times where you want to pull it out. It's great that you have that in your bag when you need it, but only use it when you need it. And you don't necessarily need to use it at all times. And to your point, I think if you can kind of go back to the basics a little bit, play within the rhythm of the offense, get your footing underneath you, rip it. And we've seen that's when Jordan is usually playing his best. And again, you don't want to necessarily take away that ad lib ability and the ability to play off platform. Those are good things to have when you need them. Um, I just think, as you mentioned, it's becoming a little bit more lackadaisical of when he's going to some of those off platform throws. And sometimes when you didn't need it and that, 
that was sort of the disjointed nature of this game for Jordan. It felt like there were times he was leaving the pocket when he didn't need to leave the pocket, was watching the rush a little bit more. Again, just some uncharacteristic decision-making. Just all of that was just odd. And to be fair to Jordan, it was for the entire team. It was in no way, shape, or form just him. The entire team was a little bit off in that particular game. But um, it, it, when you're the quarterback, you're always going to get a lot of the praise when things go well. You're going to get a little bit more of the blame, uh, and sometimes rightfully so when things don't go well. But this was definitely a tough one for Jordan. And again, like his earlier earlier kind of performances in the season, he reverted to type in terms of the first half was awful. The yes. third quarter was better. And then the fourth quarter, he turned it on and looked like, Jordan Love again, right? Like yep. he's had the, the number of games this season where that has been the pattern. Bad first half, better third quarter, really good fourth quarter is bizarre. I can't think of a guy who's consistently had that stark a um, a set of sort of season splits by quarter. It's bizarre. And I think Matt said something to the effect of, you know, maybe early in this game, he was, I think, overthinking things a little bit too much. And then, you know, finally just said, Matt specifically said something to the effect of, you know, don't be afraid of making the mistakes, just kind of go out and rip the ball and don't overthink it so much. And felt like maybe that's what was going on a little bit early in the game. But to your point, this is not the first iteration of this that we've seen this season. It has been on multiple occasions. Uh, let's transition over to a couple of players who did play very well in this game. Um, I wanted to start with Devontae Wyatt. There's been some interesting buzz in the Packers community about Devontae Wyatt this week, an 89.7 grade. Um, we've had the opportunity in the past, Sam, to talk about pressures and just kind of what they can mean to a defense and how important they can be and why it's important to measure pressures rather than sacks. Devontae Wyatt, interestingly, this week gets a lot of really quick wins against some offensive linemen in this game, but cannot finish a lot of those. We saw some blow-bys. We saw uh, Cutlets be able to sidestep and get up the field and pick up some big wins. So I know a lot of people very pleased with Devontae Wyatt, similarly to you, and I I had a really solid grade on him as well this week. Um, And then other people are saying, well, it doesn't really help a whole heck of a lot if he's getting up the field and then DeVito just sidesteps him and he, you know, vacates a space and he's able to step into that. But wanted you to a kind of just talk about why it's impressive performance and then be kind of how you weigh in on that. Yeah. I, I mean, I thought he had a really good game, as you say, decisive, early, quick pressure. You've got to kind of bear in mind who he was going up against. You know, most of those plays I think came against Ben Breedis and a guard on one side. Um, not a good offensive lineman, right? So yep. the, the bar is being set pretty low in terms of your expectations in this game should be to have a pretty successful outing because you're not going up against a good opponent it's a bad offensive line it has been all season long you know you are expected to win a lot of these plays and he did so like that part was good it is yeah it's it's an interesting um kind of balance between winning early getting quick pressure and actually doing something with it right now yep. one point i think that's worth making is most if not all of these plays were four men rushes right so there's a gap somewhere, right? Yep. Even even if he does a great job, like there is space for a quarterback to find in the blocking scheme if he can make it work and take off with a four-man rush. You're, you're not in a situation where the quarterback has no shot at making any play. If somebody gets pressure, it's going to stop him. There is a gap, and Cutlass was able to find the gap a few times. Um, one of those plays, I think, in particular – it wasn't really a a fault of his like the quarterback just was more athletic than he was and got out into the wide open space on the side and there's not not much why i can do from that from an interior point of view there was definitely one pressure where he got a fairly quick win up the middle um 
the the guard is still kind of leaning on him but it, it did look pretty rough in terms of not being able to at least adjust your angle a little bit and turn the corner a little bit tighter and, and stop that being a problem but like ultimately i think his first job is to move him off a spot is to make something adjust you know and theoretically somebody else wins on the play as well or at least is in position to tidy it up afterwards and you don't get gashed for it the problem is on that particular play like he won quickly nobody else won at all and then cutlets is able to find the space and and you know attack that gap but i think it would be it would be harsh to penalize wyatt for that you know for saying well okay you won but you didn't take him to ground so it's a bad play now right yep. because because it turned into a really productive play by the quarterback being able to scramble and and you know make more yards like that is almost more on three other pass rushers getting nothing done than it is the one guy that actually forced the issue and got exposed because of it so you guys have probably noticed by now that the pack a day podcast is 365 days a year and we've now been doing this for over five years You've probably also noticed that I haven't missed too many episodes over the years. And let me tell you, that isn't by mistake. The truth is, before I started the podcast, I used to get sick way more often. I figured at the time that it was just happenstance, wrong place, wrong time, maybe ran into someone with the wrong germ and I got sick. What the heck was I supposed to do about it? Then I had a friend recommend to me a vitamin regimen that helped my immune system. And ever since I started boosting my immune system, my instances of being sick drastically decreased. Turns out, wasn't always just happenstance after all. When I was sick, I wasn't feeling focused. I felt sluggish. And that led me to fall behind on my work and left me stressed out. Me taking vitamins helped, but then I ran into a different problem. Taking multiple vitamins every day was becoming a hassle and I figured there had to be an easier way. That's when I started drinking AG1. When I started drinking AG1 daily, I not only continued to boost my immune system, I also had more energy and was able to replace all of my multivitamins. That's because AG1 is a foundational nutritional supplement that supports your body's universal needs like gut optimization, stress management, and immune support. Since 2010, AG1 has led the future of foundational nutrition, continuously refining their formula to create a smarter, better way to elevate your baseline health. Not only did I replace my multivitamin with AG1, but I love that every scoop also includes prebiotics, probiotics, and digestive enzymes for gut support. That's why I'm proud to have AG1 as a sponsor for the Packaday podcast. AG1 is the supplement that I trust to provide the support my body needs daily. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash packaday. That's drinkag1.com slash packaday. Check it out. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's the holiday season, and in our family, we're gearing up to get all of our holiday shopping completed so we can have those magical moments of giving the gifts that people are going to love, and we can see the joy on their faces when they open those gifts. As a father of a 6- and 10-year-old, those moments are magical, and they mean a ton to me. Now, you and your family may have different holidays or different traditions, but one thing remains the same. You get to define how you give to yourself this holiday season, and this holiday season is the perfect time to do just that. You could treat yourself to a spa day, maybe make your favorite meal for dinner, or maybe the best gift of all could be a gift of therapy. As I've talked about in the past, therapy has been a huge benefit to me in my walk in life. As much as we want to put life on cruise control and act like everything is perfect, the fact remains that life is hard and you don't have to walk that journey all by yourself. As soon as I realized that is when my life took a turn for the better. 
Therapy has helped me focus, it's helped me avoid negative triggers, and it's helped me enjoy the little things in my everyday life. If you're thinking about starting therapy this holiday season, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be ultra convenient, and can be suited to your own unique schedule. In this season of giving, give yourself what you need with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash packaday to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash packaday. Hey there. I'm sure you've heard a ton about daily fantasy sports, but I'm here to tell you that you've never experienced anything quite like prize picks. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the Specials League, a league created specifically for combo projections that includes two or more players from different sports or leagues. For example, LeBron James plus Travis Kelsey at a 10.5 combo of three points made plus receptions. Even more fun yet? Do you want to play alongside some of Prize Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz? You can now find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Prize Picks community each week. I've had so much fun making Prize Picks a part of my daily fantasy sports routine. They cover all of my favorite sports, have a ton of variety and different options to choose from, and the player choices are immense. I even had a fun J.K. Scott selection the other day for the Chargers game. I recently had a big win on Saturday morning in a London game, and it just made the viewing experience so much more enjoyable. It's fun, it's exciting, it's easy, and there's a level of creativity and uniqueness about it that I really, really enjoy. So go to prizepicks.com slash packaday and use code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepicks.com slash packaday using code packaday for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Couldn't agree more. I talked about it a couple of times this week, but um, there's a complimentary football that takes place just on the defensive line and obviously in your front group as well, where it, it's inherent that if, yeah, if one guy wins, that's great. But if everyone else is losing and you and the quarterback has the ability to sidestep that guy, it doesn't always amount to a whole heck of a lot. It felt like it was interesting because I know you guys had Slayton really high as well. I thought Slayton had a really nice game. It was like when Slayton won, nobody else won. When Wyatt won, nobody else won. When Clark won, nobody. It was like it was everyone was just kind of going through the roulette wheel of like one person was going to win, but they weren't necessarily going to finish the play. And if you just could have had a few of those plays where multiple guys actually won on the same play, um, I think there was one and Cullet still, you know, got out of it somehow. He was just Houdini in that game at times, but um, that was sort of the frustration. And uh, sometimes just unlucky too. And it's a team that gave up a ton of sacks on the year. Green Bay couldn't get any, which was super frustrating. The one that was close. Uh, you know, DeVito rolls over, like just barely past the line of scrimmage to take one away from LVN. It was just that kind of game for Green Bay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, he's Tommy DeVito, like all the jokes aside and the cutlets and the, the memes yep. and all that kind of stuff. He's been playing well since he came into the lineup and he is evasive. He's elusive. He's difficult to take down. Like he is, he's a, a challenging quarterback for a defense to try and bottle up because he is pretty athletic. He is sort of, slippery and difficult to, to stop there's it's not quite to this level yet but there's a little uh new york lynn sanity from back in the day to the the uh you know devito train that's going on right now and like you said he's playing well he deserves a lot of credit for what he's been able to accomplish in these past few weeks and picking up some wins and playing some pretty decent football which has been impressive uh want to go over one other uh player this time on the offensive side of the ball that was Tucker Craft, 76.4 grade from you guys. Uh, Matt LaFleur mentioned this week that there might not be another player on the team that's progressed as much as he has through the course yeah. of the year. I totally agree with them. Even just going back to training camp, like he looked lost at times as a blocker and credit to him. Like you could tell he was a sponge for everything that the coaches were telling him. But from beginning to year until now, he's made some pretty impressive strides. 
Yeah, it really has. Like the difference between him and Luke Musgrave, like in training camp or earlier in the year was insane. Like Musgrave, I think still looks really good, but Kraft didn't look, it was like, okay, we got one guy at least, you know, the other one was insurance and that doesn't look like it's going to work out, but it doesn't matter. Now, like he's not as dynamic as Musgrave and he won't be, I don't think he'll ever be the, like the vertical threat down the seam, even though he got one of those nice plays in this game. I don't think he'll ever be that type of player as, as Musgrave, but he looks like a, a good kind of more conventional in line tight end. Um, and actually they might end up forming a really nice duo, right? As a, a complementary unit, one guy that's much more in line, the other guy that's more athletic and um, able to push defenses vertically and operate in the slot a lot more. And he was really impressive in this game, caught everything sent his way and does look like a completely different player from training camp or earlier in the season. And now the, the kind of double up insurance may, may end up turning that one position into a real strength if they both pan out. Yeah, the complementary side of it is what I think has a lot of people excited. As you mentioned, two very different skill sets. It feels like you know Musgrave can be your attacking downfield, more move tight end, and Kraft can be, like you said, the traditional guy. Even Ben Sims has played pretty decent in some limited playing time as more of a blocking tight end as a rookie undrafted guy that the the Vikings waved in in camp and Green Bay picked him up. Obviously not to the level of Musgrave and Kraft, but um, we know how difficult it can be for tight ends to make that transition into the NFL John Dunn, tight ends coach, deserves a ton of credit for having those guys really ready to play. Both of them have improved as blockers through the course of the season. I don't think Musgrave's ever going to be a good blocker, but he was at least getting in the way um, and being better than he was earlier in the season and kind of in college. Um, I just think they've done a really nice job. And, and Tucker Craft played every single snap in this game this week. Um, obviously, it was just the quarterback and only, I think, three of the offensive linemen who uh, was was doing that on offense. So he, he deserves a ton of credit. They're obviously using him. And this kind of peak Tucker craft has kind of come at the right time with Musgrave hurt with all the receivers, Christian Watson, now with Dontavian Wicks, Jaden Reed, Aaron Jones. Like they are, uh, you know, a, a shell of themselves from an injury standpoint right now. They needed somebody to step up and Tucker craft did this week. Yeah, absolutely. And, and all those injuries is I'm sure it has to pay uh, play into why they had such a letdown game, right? Like it's it's a, again, it's part of the explanation. I don't think it serves as all of the explanation. Same with the conditions is is a part of it. It's not all of it, but you know, you start rolling a few of those things together, it does make a, a bit more sense than it did just on the face of it. Of how did a team that beat Kansas City then go and lose it to Cutlets in, in the Meadowlands? Big time. Uh, let's talk. We, we talked obviously about how, you know, Tommy DeVito is, you know, playing better football than just kind of the memes and everything else. He's, he's very, very solid. But this Green Bay defense had another opportunity to get a stop late in the game with the lead. You know, to Jordan's credit, after a tough game, he goes down, gets Green Bay on the board. Um, makes a couple impressive throws to Malik Heath, drops one of them, catches the other one, and they have the lead. They can't get the two-point conversion. And within milliseconds, it felt like the Giants go down, get into field goal range, and make the game-winning kick. And I just want to, you know, your your thoughts on this Packers defense. Obviously, a lot of angst and frustration with Joe Barry once again um, on his side of things. I actually thought if you go back, they had the one drive in the first half where they get the touchdown and then they hold them to start the second half. And at that point, I thought the defense was actually playing pretty good ball. Saquon Barkley did nothing up until that point. You got a couple of DeVito scrambles. You got the Wandale Robinson, I think reverse in there, but it's seven points or like early third quarter. You just got the ball back and you punt away. Keyshawn Nixon muffs the punt and then 
he muffs it. The offense goes down and immediately scores a touchdown. Darnell Savage misses a brutal tackle in the open field on DeVito. And then just everything seemed to spiral from there. But to, again, the same point, you had the opportunity with the lead late in the game against a third string quarterback and not great offense. And they just couldn't get the job done. Yeah. And I think we talked about this a little bit a couple of weeks ago, which is yep. it's not that the defense is bad. It's that they, they tend to show up in, it's bad timing, right? It's like bad situations more or, or the kind of the times where it really hurts you stick in the memory. And this, I think is a good example. Like, there were some quite good plays by the defense and some quite good play over the course of the game. Um, they were a little bit unlucky sometimes, as you say, with the pass rush and how only one guy was winning at a time. But then right at the, the, the death where it looked like Jordan Love pulled it out, the game is now back in control. They just got so soft and they backed off and they didn't stay aggressive and they they got really passive and played really far off receivers and basically just sort of said, it's like they went into that drive and said, there's just no way Cutlets can get this done, right? So we're yep. not even going to really, we're going to just just prevent like a 70-yard bomb and everything else is fine. And actually, when you give a guy that much room and space, you can get it done. Like it's not that hard for even a, I use the term marginal NFL quarterback, but like an undrafted rookie, right? Yep. Even those guys, when you give them that kind of time and space and that ease of of difficulty and an assignment can get that kind of thing done and every defense i think has to be more aggressive than that on that final drive i think so too it feels like you're hoping for a mistake rather than trying to make a mistake i mean on the offensive side of the ball right. or maybe on the flip side you're worried about a mistake that you're going to make so you want to make sure you're keeping everything in front of you but the game is right there. It feels like you just kind of need to go and take it. And they didn't. And I think that's what a lot of the frustration is, is it's those situational moments. And it's when you need to stop. And Green Bay's given up multiple of these through the course of the season. Even the Saints game, when Green Bay got the win, the Saints drive all the way down, get into like 45-yard field goal range. I want to say it was somewhere around there. And the Saints field goal kicker just missed it. So it doesn't look as bad. And Green Bay gets the win. But um, this is a five and eight team if they the Saints just make that field goal. And everything I think feels a whole heck of a lot different even after that. So um, yeah, the defense has not been great in in you know those key moments, and they've been bad in inopportune times. And they've got to figure out how to just be a little bit more aggressive and a little bit more clutch in those situations because this has happened over and over again. Any other thoughts on the defense? No, I mean, I think it's, again, the, the same story that we, we talked about before. It's not that it's yeah. bad across the board. It's just that timing of, of how they show up with their worst play is, is really hurting them. One more thing on the offense before we jump to Packers Bucks, and that's A.J. Dillon. Um, he's now your uh, PFF's 15th best running back with a 74.6 grade on the season. Um, more interested in your thoughts, too, because he is set to be a unrestricted free agent this offseason. Your thoughts on Dylan's play this year, which started off a little bumpy, but has been much better as of late. Those some of the little things people don't always see pretty good in pass pro had that really nice catch on just a check down that he took for what, 25 some yards this past week, catches the ball pretty well out of the backfield, although he's not a guy that obviously can like line up wide and do stuff with. But uh, just your thoughts on Dylan and, and kind of him going into the offseason as a free agent. I think he's a solid player. Like I, I, you know, I think the criticism of him earlier in the season was always a little bit overblown. Um, he's a very dependent player. I think he needs the situation to be pretty good for him to look at his best. Um, but he's the classic player that in the NFL, I think is quite easy to replace. You know, he's, it's not that he's bad. It's not that there's any massive weakness to him. It's just that 
you shouldn't pay for that. It's too easy to find a running. It's too easy to find an AJ Dillon in the draft in any given season without having to go and pay big money for one on a second contract. I think that's basically what it comes down to. Generally speaking, I would be of the opinion that most running backs fall into that category and where the real surplus of, of running backs is and, and the kind of the learning from resource allocation and roster construction is that second contract like don't give a guy the big money second contract unless you have an absolute cast iron superstar and dylan isn't that so yeah. you know not necessarily specific to him but i i definitely wouldn't be paying him a, a second deal i would let him walk but he's he's a perfectly good player i think yeah he's had a nice season uh, again especially after maybe a couple of those first games but uh, i think to your point again he they, they probably will I think just try to get maybe a little bit more juice in that position in the off season. I do know that Dylan is a, a big fan of the area. They call him the mayor of Door County, which is just north <laughs> of Green Bay. Uh, so we'll see. Maybe he takes more of a team friendly deal. He seems to fit well within the offense overall. And again, does a lot of those little things. I could see maybe both of them coming to an agreement on maybe a more team friendly deal and, and maybe getting something done. But if not, I'm with you. I think it's probably wise to just get a little bit younger, a little bit faster, maybe a little bit bigger, bigger of a playmaker um, at that position and see what maybe you're able to do on offense. They've gone speed at really every other position. Um, they've got it at tight end. They went with it at wide receiver. They've been trying to upgrade that and get faster. The running back is kind of the last position left where I think they still need to get a little bit more speed, and that would be a, a kind of a key way to do so. Uh, let's transition to Panthers Bucks. Your quick and early thoughts on uh, that matchup this Sunday against what are right now, believe it or not, two playoff teams. If the season were to end today, yeah, Packers Bucks. Like that's a Tampa Bay. I think is an interesting team as like a litmus test for somebody, right? The Giants obviously was a disappointing game. Kansas City was an impressive game, albeit the Chiefs' season isn't what they thought it would be. Tampa Bay are just good enough that if you want to be a playoff team, you can't be losing to them, right? Baker Mayfield has been feisty. He's been better than sort of his last season would show, but it's not like he's bounced all the way back. This isn't even Baker Mayfield's best play of his career. You know, he's had multiple years, I think, in Cleveland that were better than this. Um, but he's making some clutch plays. This might be the most clutch Baker Mayfield we've ever seen. Like late in the game with the game on the line, he seems to be showing up some of his best play. Um, but I think, you know, they they need to have a good performance this week. Like I, I don't see there's any reason they can't go and, and beat Tampa Bay. But if they can't, I think you know you, the playoffs were a, a pipe dream that looked you know impressive and, and possible for a period of the middle of the season, and then unraveled again late with with some regression to the mean. Yeah, I think you're right. And from Baker Mayfield's standpoint, this is his third straight December game at Lambeau Field with a third different team. Cleveland two years ago, the Rams last year, and now the Buccaneers this year. Those last two games have not gone well for Baker. Multiple interceptions, I think 10 sacks total in those two games. It has not gone well. So we'll see if he has any more success with Tampa Bay this time around or if Green Bay can kind of – maybe that's Joe Barry's thing. He's got Baker Mayfield's number. Uh, maybe that's the thing he's got uh, in his profile. But – yeah, he could use it this week. The Packers defense could use a big game, especially with all the injuries on offense. I think that's kind of the big thing that I'm going to be watching for this week is just the injury report, the inactives before the game, and just to see who Green Bay actually has at their disposal. Because as you mentioned before, that was a factor in the Giants game. It could easily factor in this week as well. All right, really quick, two lightning round ones for you before I get you out of here. The first one is I just kind of want to ask you about the state of the NFL right now. The, the Bears right now, hold the number five pick and they obviously hold the number one pick as well, but they hold their own number five pick in the draft at five and eight. 
the Packers and the Buccaneers are in the playoffs at six and seven. There are 19 teams between five and eight and seven and six in the, I guess, in the hunt category. I know that this is sort of the the parody that I think everyone wants and loves, but is this good parody or is this just a lot of bleh, mediocre, bad football and nobody's really that good except a few teams at the top? Yeah, I think I think it's more the latter. Like we we went into the season looking at a bunch of teams on paper and are like, wow, this is going to be an incredible year. There's so many good teams. And certainly in the AFC, it's like, are there any good teams? I mean, you know, there's a lot of yeah. pretty good teams, but everybody we thought would be a real contender, you know, Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, these teams are all dropping by the wayside. And Baltimore is in in pole position for that number one seed. And even Baltimore is not great. I mean, they've had better years than this. They're not looking unstoppable. Right now, the 49ers look like an unstoppable force. Dallas looks fantastic, but, you know, they got annihilated by the 49ers. So you kind of look league-wide, and it's like we might have one good team when they're healthy, one team that's really good as long as they don't have to play that other good team, and then everybody else is somewhere in the middle. Um, and even it goes pretty deep because, like you said, the Bears have the number five overall pick, their own pick. If they win one game, that drops to 13 or something <laughs> in, in yeah. draft order. Like the 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 sort of con, 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 uh, like congregation of teams in the middle of, of the standings is crazy. It really, really is. And I, I'm going to be interested to see how that all plays out because I guess yeah, I saw people saying like, this is why there shouldn't be the number seven seed in the, you know, in the playoffs. And I have mixed thoughts on it, but to some extent, like this keeps a lot of people in like uh, four, four weeks left and all, but like the bottom four teams are still in the playoff hunt at this point of the season. And again, we can argue if that's good or bad, but it certainly maybe takes away from some of the tanking thoughts or anything like that. When, um, and even Washington's just a game behind the bears. Like, um, so I think that it, it does add a little bit of intrigue, but I do think there's a lot of mediocrity in the NFL, which is, is maybe not exactly what you're hoping for either. I yeah. really laugh. Oh, go ahead. I don't, I don't think like the, yeah, I, you're right. Like I don't think the seven seed thing changes anything though. <laughs> like, the yeah. seven seed in this year, they're no different from the six seeds in the conference. Like, and, and a team in the NFC, like somebody is going to win the NFC South with an mm-hmm. awful, you know, record. And like, so just taking one wild card wouldn't fix anything, I don't think. Yeah, you're probably right on that. Uh, last one, Bears are having some interesting uh, discussions within the Bears fandom of Justin Fields, Matt Eberflus, and the number one pick. Where are you at right now with, uh, and again, I know we have a lot of time to play out. The Bears could be a playoff team for all we know in the next four weeks. They could bottom out, maybe even get a better draft pick and make that decision easy. But as we sit here today, Justin Fields, Eberflus, number one pick, what are you thinking for the Bears moving forward? Yeah, I I can't see how they can talk themselves into sticking with Fields and you know keeping that going if for, if for no other reason that it's going to get a lot more expensive going forward. Yeah. You know, most of his rookie contract is done now. You're going to have to make a decision about the fifth year option. You're going to have to start looking at paying him forty million dollars a season, and there's just no way you can convince yourself he's on that pathway yet. So they have a chance. They've done some good things in terms of bringing in DJ Moore. Now having that number one pick, you know, bring, getting a guy like Darnell Wright for the offensive line, they've brought in Sweat on the defensive line, like they've moved things forward and they have a chance to kind of reset the clock by getting the next rookie quarterback and starting over. And with the number one overall pick, which they're going to have from Carolina, they get a chance to do it with a quarterback that is theoretically better than the top guys from a year ago, right? Like this class 
looks better, whether it's Caleb Williams, Drake May at number one than anybody from last year's class. Now, CJ Stroud looks like he's way better than people thought he was, but Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Richardson, Levis, none of those guys were in the same kind of category as Drake May or Caleb Williams are as prospects. So theoretically, it's a better time to make that uh, call than it was a season ago. Yeah, I think the best argument I saw too is like probably a more around the floor for like a Caleb Williams is probably what you're kind of getting out of Justin Fields these past handful of seasons or four seasons. And if that's the case, like the upside is extremely high and you get at, at worst probably a Justin Fields caliber quarterback with a much cheaper contract moving forward. So uh, it would seem that that's probably the best decision to go with. We'll see what they do at head coach and they, like everything. They're going to have a lot of decisions, but I'm with you. I think they probably take a quarterback at one and then probably move on from Fields in some capacity. Sam, amazing stuff as always. Where can uh, we all follow your work and plug anything you want to plug? Yeah, just the uh, the PFF NFL podcast, either on YouTube or wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure to give him a follow. Of course, you can follow him on Twitter at PFF underscore Sam. You can follow me at Andy Herman NFL. That's going to do it for us today. But until next time, and as always, go Pack Go. Go.